You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Kalikas of Circus Sports to break down this Saturday's UFC on ABC2 event, which takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC on ABC2 features a 13 fight card in total and will be aired on ESPN+. ESPN, and ABC this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a welterweight fight featuring Impa Kassengany, who is 8-1, taking on Sasha Palatnikov, who is 6-2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? A couple quick notes here before we get started. The opening betting odds that I will be quoting are market-wide opening prices, and they're available at MMAOddsBreaker.com. Check out our opening betting odds article for UFC on ABC2 done by Adam Martin. That's where all the betting odds are available, the openers, that is. And, of course, the updated betting odds are courtesy of Circa Sports here in Las Vegas. If you're ever in Vegas, make sure you head over to Circa Sports. We have locations, of course, at Circa Las Vegas downtown, um, at Golden Gate Las Vegas, at D Las Vegas, now at Tuscany as well. And if you're in Colorado, make sure you get on the Circa Sports app. That's the place to bet on sports and on the UFC, so make sure you check out Circa. And also, quick plug for UFC Fight Pass. We did UFC Vegas 23, our show for this weekend, and all of my official bets for this card are on there as well. So make sure you head over to UFC Fight Pass and check out UFC on the line for UFC Vegas 23, and you'll get all my official plays on there. Now, getting right into this card, should be a fantastic one. We originally had 15 fights on the card, but a couple drop-offs now, and we're down to like 13, I believe, so should still be a fantastic card. And of course, on ABC, um, the main card is, and that should be awesome as well. So a lot of attention is going to be on this card. I mean, the UFC is going to be front and center, which is always awesome. And getting right into it, Kassigani opened minus 240, Polintnikov opened at plus 205. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is currently Kassengany at minus 290, and the comeback on Poletnikov is at plus 245. So a little bit more action coming in on Kassengany. I agree with it. I think he probably should win this fight. I mean, of course, he's coming off that brutal knockout loss, um, one of the most devastating and beautiful knockout kicks that we've seen, of course, uh, but he ended up on the wrong end of it. But that being said, I think he's going to rebound here nicely, and uh, Polenikov is a dangerous dude for sure. He's got striking ability, of course. He's got that toughness. He showed it in his last fight where he pulled off a pretty solid upset win over Koski, and he's dangerous on the feet for sure. I just think Kassengady can strike with Polenikov. I think he can get some takedowns here. I grapple Polenikov as well. So it's his fight to win or lose, honestly. As it approaches minus 300, though, I would be cautious at the betting window because I think the value has been kind of sucked out and you're getting kind of into that danger zone and you have to respect at least the power on the other side here as well. So I think Kassengady rebounds nicely, gets back on track here, and he's definitely an interesting prospect to watch for sure. So he should win this fight. Yeah, and I'm with Nick. I mean, Kassengany should be by far the better fighter here. I mean, he's just a really well-rounded fighter, uh, good striker, excellent wrestling, um, great athlete. Plus, uh, what's really interesting is that he is dropping down to the welterweight division. Now, he was a good middleweight, like a really good middleweight, 
Um, and now he's dropping down to welterweight. I think that he could actually be a, a pretty good player in the welterweight division. Um, the only thing I'm really nervous about is how he responds to his loss. I mean, he got destroyed um, by Buckley. I mean, he hit got hit really, really hard fight knockout of the year type of loss. I mean, that's the type of loss that can change somebody. So I'm definitely a bit nervous about that. But um, if he's okay and if he responds and he's still the same guy that, you know, earned his way to the UFC and was dominant in his UFC debut, then he should win convincingly here. I mean, I just don't see a spot that he loses. I, I think his chin should hold up too. I mean, he got hit with a crazy kick right to the chin that he didn't see coming. And I just don't think Palatnikov has that ability. Like Palatnikov has some power, but I think Kassengani can withstand it if he sees it coming. So I'm going to go Kassengani. I think he wins by a one-sided decision. Now, moving up to the light heavyweight division, we have Da Eun Jung, who is 13-2-1, taking on William Knight, who is 9-1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Jung opened minus 130, the comeback on Knight at plus 110, and right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is currently... Jung minus 135, the comeback on night at plus 115. It looks like market-wide, the price is starting to rise a little bit towards Jung. There is two-way action coming in in this fight for sure. This is a tough one, man, because, I mean, obviously the intangibles here with the reach advantage, the striking advantage that Jung should have, that's why everybody's kind of coming in that way. I understand it. Uh, Jung is definitely the better overall striker here in this spot. I think he's got better uh, striking defense as well. If anything that I kind of shy away from from Knight, is it's the way he does go about his strike defense at times. I don't like his reaction, I think, to aggressive strikers. But that being said, Knight's a beast, man. And I've learned my lesson. I mean, I was on Kamer against Knight in his last fight, and I was more than impressed with Knight. I mean, he surprised me. I mean, he's obviously a physical specimen. He's strong. He has the ability to outgrind people. He's got good wrestling. He's got better offensive striking than, honestly, I originally thought as well. And he could be very effective in that department as well. Like I said, defensively, he's just got to tighten up a few things. But this guy is an athletic freak. So uh, it's a dogger pass situation, in my opinion here. And, and I understand a lot of people are probably going to be leaning the other way against with Dung here, but because of the striking. And I think if he could keep this upright and kind of keep the distance and, and appropriately space this fight out for him, Jung could definitely have some success. But I think Knight's going to close that gap. I think he's going to deliver some punishment also on the feet. But I think he's going to make this kind of a grueling fight for Jung. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Knight gets a finish here as well. So I'm going to go against the green here, and I'm going to pick Knight. I, like I said, I kind of learned my lesson. This guy's a physical specimen. I think he's only going to continue to improve. So my pick will be Knight here. I can see Knight winning. I mean, he does have that athletic uh, ability, and he really impressed me in the Kamer fight because I thought that he was limited, and he came in, uh, and he was landing some good shots. He was really flustering a good striker in Kamer who was on a roll in his career up until that point. So with Jung, though, uh, he is going to have, uh, I would expect, the striking edge, uh, a good power edge. Um, he's definitely had some good moments in his uh, UFC career with uh, the, the stoppages against Ibrahimov and Mike Rodriguez. But uh, I will say his last fight against Sam Alvey, he did not look good. You know, maybe that was, uh, you know, Maybe beating the Ibrahimovs and Mike Rodriguez's of the world is his peak. I'm not sure. I really am not. So that's something that we're going to have to 
be very cognizant of uh, moving forward. And uh, I think that William Knight actually has a legitimate chance here. Um, you know, Jung should have the edge in open space, but Knight is athletic enough to perhaps close the distance and land some power shots. And with the way that Jung struggled against somebody like Sam Alvey, I think that Knight's athleticism and speed and power uh, might overcome some of his uh, technique disadvantages here. And uh, if he continues to improve at the rate that he improved for that Kamer fight, um, I actually think that he has a legitimate chance to, to pull this one out. So, you know, I was thinking Jung all the way, but the, the longer I talk about this, the, the more I think that Knight is going to pull it out. So I'm going to be on uh, Team William Knight here for the upset. Now, dropping down to the featherweight division, we have Luis Saldana, who is 14 and 6, taking on Jordan Griffin, who is 18 and 8. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Saldana minus 135, Griffin plus 115. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is currently Saldana minus 140, Griffin at plus 120. So there's a lot of two-way action on this fight coming in as well. More action starts to come in, I think, as we get closer to fight time on Griffin. I think what people are seeing here is Griffin has that experience. I mean, he is definitely the savvy vet in this spot. Um, despite them being the same age as me, Saldana, 30, Griffin, 31, I get it. But Griffin has faced and kind of been the spotlight, obviously, in the UFC a little bit longer as well. I think he's faced better competition as a whole, too. So he's got a ground game, and that's his advantage here, I think, over Saldana is if he could possibly get this fight to the ground and out-grapple Sadano. Sadano's well-rounded as well. I mean, he's got a bit of a jiu-jitsu game, but I think his path to victory here is keeping it upright and obviously out-striking Griffin. I think it's he could potentially do that if he fights smart and his takedown defense is there, which I think Griffin does tend to struggle at times getting the fight to the floor. So this should be a pretty decent matchup for Saldana if he doesn't get submitted. So I think that's Griffin's path to victory is getting that sub. If he doesn't do that, I think Saldana busts him up and probably outpoints him to get earned the decision. Maybe even to finish Griffin's kind of tough to finish. Um, so I don't think that happens, but I think Saldana can at least outpoint him and bust him up on the feet enough to win this fight. So my pick is Saldana, but I'm going to stay away from it at the betting window. I wouldn't suggest laying it because I still think he needs to prove himself over more solid competition. And Griffin definitely fits that bill, if that makes sense. So my pick is Saldana, but it's a tough one at the betting window, I think. And I'm going to go Saldana as well. Um, I really am a fan of this guy striking. Um, he has some nifty boxing, some really impressive kicking, which uh, he displayed in his fight to earn his UFC contract. And uh, I think uh, in terms of ground game, that's really the big question mark. Now, Griffin is not an elite ground fighter. So I'm not super worried about him getting takedowns here. But uh, that being said, um, Griffin does have a little bit of submission ability. So if he is able to close that distance and get a hold of Saldana, um, there is the potential for some uh, submissions. Because, I mean, Griffin, uh, his one UFC win against TJ Brown was by guillotine choke. Um, his fight on Contender Series to, to make it into the UFC, he won by rear naked choke. And uh, I would say a majority of his victories outside the UFC are by submission. So if Griffin can get inside, drag this to the floor, he has a decent shot at uh, pulling this off. But 
Uh, he did struggle in his last fight against uh, Zalal and got outstruck pretty significantly. Um, so I think as long as this stays standing, Saldana should roll. But if Griffin can get this to the floor, uh, we have seen Saldana get submitted uh, two times prior in his uh, MMA career. Three times, actually. So out of his uh, six losses. So that is a pretty big concern if he can get this to the floor. So I'm going to pick um, Griffin to get the win or uh, Saldana to get the win. But I'm definitely nervous about Griffin's ground game. Now, dropping down to the Bantamweight division, we have Jack Shore, who is 13-0, taking on Hunter Azure, who is 9-1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Shore open minus 150, the comeback on Azure at plus 130. And right now over at Circus Sports, we are currently seeing Shore minus 180, the comeback on Azure at plus 155. Man, what a fantastic fight in the Bantamweight division. I mean, this is a true test for Shore. I've been nothing but impressed. I mean, he's on the rise. He's an awesome prospect to watch at age 26. Such a dominant grappling game. I mean, that's where the highlight is. He's a well-rounded mixed martial artist, and he's improving all areas. But, man, his bread and butter is definitely the ground game, and he's been nothing but impressive. So Azure has to... Be careful and cautious in this spot because he, obviously he's got decent wrestling in his own right. I think he's got good striking as well. And this is going to be a very tough test for sure. Uh, both these guys are prospects. Azure's lost, loan loss, we should say, came at 145 pounds when he got upset and, and kind of, kind of, I don't want to say flukish, but I mean, that loss was definitely surprising because he was on his way to a win. It seemed like um, over Kelleher, but credit Kelleher for, Kelleher for getting that W. But this is back at 135 where he, he's coming off of another solid win over Cole Smith, getting back on track a little bit. And again, he could present a lot of problems here because I think on the feet it's going to be interesting and close. But um, And Azure could probably give Shore a lot of problems here if he gets stuff to takedowns. But I think Shore will eventually get this fight to the ground. Azure does start to slow down as the fight progresses. And his dominance on the ground will probably show here. I think he could at least... Um, get enough takedowns and control time to win a decision on the scorecards, if not possibly get a finish. I mean, this guy, again, his submission game is off the charts right now, and I think his confidence, everything's kind of lining up for him to possibly get a finish here as well. So I do think it's Shore's fight to win or lose, um, but this is a great matched fight. I mean, this is a true test, like I said, and I think it's going to be probably a, a pretty competitive fight until it's not, and I think Shore will probably end up winning on the scorecards or, like I said, get a finish. So my pick is Shore, but as it gets up to minus 180, I think you guys got to be careful. I mean, this is definitely one of the toughest fights in his career. So I don't think you could go on, out here and, and bet this fight like crazy, even if you expect Shore to get the W here. So you got to respect Azure, and you got to respect the betting price right now where it's at market-wide. So my pick is Shore, but it's kind of a tough one to bet where the line is right now. I'm going to go Shore as well. I mean, I am really excited about his prospects in the UFC Bantamweight division. Uh, the guy is a legitimate top talent in the UFC. Um that being said, he still does have some work to do. I mean, this guy is, uh, I think, uh, on the feet, not quite elite yet. Uh, ground game, absolutely. I mean, he has one of the best ground games in the Bantamweight division. If he gets Hunter Azure on the ground and is able to keep him there, he should roll. I mean, his ground game is legit. Um, that being said... Uh, Hunter Azure is a good striker with power, and he's big and strong. So if Shore has trouble getting this fight to the floor, Hunter Azure could land some heavy shots on the feet and maybe take him out. I mean, he only has the one loss 
And that was his uh, fight against Kelleher, where he started really strong, dominated the first round, then slowed down and got knocked out. So I'm not really concerned about Shore knocking Azure out. So if Azure is focused on takedown defense and keeps this upright and outstrikes Shore, I mean, he could play spoiler here. Um, but uh, I am also concerned about Azure, uh, the fact that he did slow down in that fight. So um, I'm going to go with uh, Shore. I think maybe Azure keeps this upright early, but Shore wears him down and either gets a late submission or wins the last two rounds and takes a decision. So my pick is going to be Jack Shore. Now, moving up to the heavyweight division, we have Jorgen DeCastro, who is 6-2, taking on Yarjus Danho, who is 5-1-1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? DeCastro, minus 250. Danho, a plus 205. That was the opening number. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is currently DeCastro, minus 305. The comeback on Danho, a plus 255. Heavyweights, the big boys, baby. I mean, there's no question to me who the better fighter here is. It's DeCastro, but you got to respect Danho's size and his strength here. He's been out for so long, though. I mean, I think he's been out since 2016. He was injured, had COVID issues, so there was a lot going on with Danho as well. But, I mean, he's a physical beast as well. He's just so big and strong. Um, his striking can be a little bit more technical, but, man, all he needs it to do is land one of those bombs, and it could definitely change the complexion of the fight. And, of course, he goes for takedowns, and if he gets on top of you, you could be in some serious trouble. So you got to respect the power and the ability of Dano here. But I think, obviously, DeCastro is a better striker. He's going to be the sniper here in this spot. Um, he's far more technical. I think he has a de decent takedown defense to keep this fight upright. And as the fight progresses, if he gets in round two or round three, obviously the tides are going to change completely. So it might be competitive in a tough round one for DeCastro, but I think after he gets out of round one, the fight's going to start to get a little bit easier for him, and he should be able to outstrike Dano along the way and probably get the W here. So I like DeCastro, but again, a minus 300 is a heavyweight fight. Batting value is probably out the window. I mean, open minus 250. If you could got minus 250, I would say, okay. I mean, it's probably worth a little stab there. Uh, but as it gets over 300, I think you got to be cautious because, again, one punch can change the complexion of the fight, even if the fighter's not the better one, if that makes sense. So heavyweight division is always kind of a wild card. And you got to expect the unexpected with the, the power that these guys have. But I do think DeCastro is a better striker and it's going to show as the fight goes. So I'm going to pick DeCastro, but another spot where if you miss the boat, you probably have to stay away. And I'm going to go with DeCastro. I mean, Danho hasn't fought in five plus years, closer to six even now. Um, and I just don't believe in him. I mean, he was a very raw talent when he debuted in the UFC. He, it didn't look good, uh, in his loss to, uh, Omilinchuk and then had a terrible fight against Christian Colombo. And then that was it. That was the last time we saw him. He's had a couple fights canceled since then, but we haven't seen him since September of 2016. So uh, against somebody like Jorgen DeCastro, who's been pretty active, um, I just think that Danho is going to be outmatched. I mean, DeCastro is a talented striker. He has uh, a good mix of uh, both with his hands and his feet. Um, the only thing I'm really worried about is if uh, DeCastro walks into something or perhaps if something happens like in his Greg Hardy fight where he hurts himself kicking his opponent and uh, that allows uh, Danho to get something going 
or maybe, you know, if he slips and falls down, because Danhill is very big and strong, even if he's not that skilled. Um, so, and if he gets on top, maybe he can do some damage. But uh, if Jorgen DeCastro plays it smart here, he plays Matador in the cage um, and just picks apart Danho from distance, um, lights him up on the feet and either win the decision or maybe d- accumulates enough damage to get a stoppage. So uh, DeCastro is my pick. Now, dropping back down to the lightweight division, we have John McDessie, who is 17 and 7, taking on Ignacio Bahamandes, who is 11 and 3. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Bahamandes open minus 120 to come back on McDessie at even money. And right now, what we're seeing over Circus Sports, of course, not going to be a big surprise here, but the line did get bent up a little bit. And right now, we're seeing Bahamandes minus 185 to come back on McDessie at plus 160. Look, I mean, starting this thing off, McDessie's 35 years old. He's been out over a year. He hasn't been consistently fighting in the cage as much as we'd like to see him here for sure. So, a lot going on with him, I think, and a lot of question marks. But that being said, he's a fantastic striker. I mean, probably underrated throughout his UFC career with how good this guy's striking is. Very technical, very precise, uh, very accurate, obviously. And he's got some pop on his punches and his kicks. So this guy is not an easy guy to strike with. But Bahamandez coming in here, he's 23 years old. He's a lot younger. He's getting better. He works with a great camp out of Chicago, as we know, with Yair Rodriguez and crew. Um, I expect him to keep on improving. He's going to be a very long striker here in this spot. And I think he could be effective despite McDessie being a little bit more technical. And I think being the better striker, I think the youth advantage that Bahamandez has here combined with his length and his striking ability is going to give McDessie a lot of problems as well. So I do see why people are coming in on Bahamandez here. I think he is an interesting prospect. And again, at age 23, he's only going to get better and the improvements are going to be big between fights, I think here as well. So it's hard not to like the size, the side here with Bahamandez, but again, I think we have to respect McDessie's striking, and he could probably break break through and get some striking going and, and have some success against Bahamandez on the feet here. And if he lands, it's going to be interesting how Bahamandez is going to take some of those shots. I think he's tough enough, and he's got a solid chin, so I think he'll be fine doing so. But this is going to play out and be a pretty fun fight, I think, while it lasts. So I would think this fight doesn't hit the scorecards uh, because there should be a finish here. And I think if that's the case, it's probably Bahamandes end up catching McDessie along the way. So my pick is Bahamandes to get the W here. But again, if you miss the boat, I mean, it went from minus 120 to now it's like minus 185, as we said. So that's a big difference. And it's not an easy fight to bet at minus 185 because I think the disrespect that McDessie will get is, at this price is starting to show up. So be careful. Watch this fight. Should be a good one. It should be a fun one. But I'm going to pick Bahamandes to get the W. Yeah, I mean, the the real difference here is uh, age gap and size. I mean, it is massive. Uh, and Baja Mendes is a good striker. So he's he's coming into this fight, even though he's still just 23 years old, he's pretty experienced with 13 professional fights to his record. Um, uh, and he's taken on uh, McDessie, who is uh, 35 years old. Um, and McDessie, uh, while he is... Uh, still dangerous, and he has been competitive against good fighters. Um, getting, uh, you know, going to decision against Francisco Trinaldo in his last fight, and uh, was on a three-fight winning streak before that. So, you know, this guy is still skilled, um, even if he is starting to uh, slow down a little bit. And I would say he is on a decline. Um, even with that, uh, I still think uh, 
you know, you got to be careful because uh, Baja Mendez, I mean, this guy has some huge physical advantages in this fight. Uh, Baja Mendez is six foot three with a 75 and a half inch reach. Um, McDessey, on the other hand, five foot eight with a 68 inch reach. So uh, if Baja Mendez plays this smart and doesn't get over aggressive and get inside too much, then he should be able to outpoint uh, McDessey from distance and then, you know, find those moments to be aggressive. But he does have a few holes in his defense. You know, he is still learning. So I'm a little nervous that McDessey finds something and clips him and hurts him. Um, but uh, between the two of them, it's McDessey that's the one that's, you know, been knocked out in fights. So uh, we've seen him uh, get hurt pretty badly, uh, breaking his jaw against Donald Cerrone. And then he got knocked out cold by Lando Veneta. Granted, you know, that was four and a half years ago. So I'm, I'm going to side with Baja Mendez, the, the young up and comer with the huge physical tools. But, uh, McDessey absolutely could be playing spoiler here, being the savvy veteran that knows all the tricks. And if he can find a way inside and land consistently, um, he could definitely play spoiler and fluster Baja Mendez. But Baja Mendez will be my pick. Now, sticking with the lightweight division, we have Scott Holtzman, who is 14 and four. Taking on Matus Gamrot, who is 17-1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Gamrot opened minus 190, the comeback on Holtzman at plus 165. Right now, what we're looking at over Circus Sports is minus 270 on Gamrot, the comeback on Holtzman at plus 230. Market-wide, we're seeing like 240s, 250s out there still, so we're a little bit higher on, on Gamrot at Circa. That being said, man, this is going to be a really good fight. I mean, I have a ton of respect for Holtzman. I think he's a very solid, again, one of these guys has kind of been underrated throughout his career, but this is a difficult matchup for him because even though Holtzman's a pretty solid striker and he's got good wrestling and good grappling ability and good takedown defense across the board, he's a very good, complete fighter. I think Gamrot's going to be a little bit faster on the feet. I think he could be effective on the feet as well. I think he's got better wrestling and he's got better grappling. So I do like Gamrot in this spot. I just think he's going to be kind of a step ahead of Holtzman. And I know he needs to kind of get back on track. There's a lot of hype about Gamrot coming into his UFC career. Um, he ended up being a quite chalky favorite in his first fight and ended up losing, to, uh, but to a very game opponent and an underrated opponent. And it was a very close fight. I mean, so that being said, I expect him to bounce back here and get the W over Holtzman. I think he's just too good and, and, and too, I think, smooth across the board. And he's just the better fighter, I think, in every area and every aspect. So you have to side with him. And I understand why the money is coming in a little bit more towards camera because I think that's probably the right side. So, again, as it approaches minus 300, you got to be careful, obviously. But I think it's probably a favorite or pass situation. And I'm going to pick Gamera to win. I think he has the ability to possibly finish Holtzman. If not, he could probably end up edging him out of a decision. Maybe a 29-28 type of decision, but it's probably one Gamera will win. So the pick is Gamera, and I'm looking forward to his career because I think there's a lot of good fights for him in the lightweight division after he gets this W here. And I'm right with you. Uh, Gamrot, while it was disappointing that he didn't pick up the win in his UFC debut, uh, the guy is still crazy talented, uh, good wrestling, good striking, um, young, um, and I think that he is still improving. Uh, and Holtzman, you know, to his credit, he has made some serious strides in his run in the UFC. He has become a better grappler. He has become a better wrestler. And his striking has really improved leaps and bounds. But he is 37 years old. He's coming off of a pretty nasty, brutal first round knockout at the hands of uh, Benil Dariush. Um, and 
I do think that, you know, he has kind of peaked at where he is in terms of MMA skill um, and uh, potential. So in terms of where these two are headed, uh, I would definitely say Gamrot's still on the rise. Holtzman's on his way down. I think Gamrot's getting Holtzman at the right time, too. Um, you know, Gamrot, while, again, he didn't win that UFC debut against uh, Kutaladze, it was a split decision loss, fight of the night, where he got to showcase some of his striking. Um, I mean, it was a, an, a still a really good fight. And I think um, that Holtzman isn't as good of a striker as Kutaladze. So if for some reason uh, Gamrot is forced to stand, I think he can still win a stand-up fight with Holtzman. But Holtzman has been vulnerable to being taken down in the past. And even though he has improved his grappling, um, I think Gamrot's wrestling is going to be good enough to take him down and keep him down. So uh, I think Gamrot wins if it stays standing. I think Gamrot wins if it goes to the ground. I just think he wins in general. So Gamrot, uh, by decision, is my pick. Now, sticking with the lightweight division for the preliminary card headliner, we have Jim Miller, who is 32 and 15, taking on Joe Selecki, who is 10 and 2. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Selecki open minus 135, the comeback of Miller plus 115. Didn't last that long. Right now, we're seeing Selecki at minus 240, the comeback plus 205 on Miller at Circus Sports. So everybody kind of hopping in on Selecki, a lot of sharp action coming in that way early on. And rightfully so. I mean, I understand Jim Miller, to me, historically has been one of the best lightweights in the UFC period. I mean, if you look back at his career, how many fights he's had and what success he's had at one time, he was top of the food chain. He was definitely a, a top five uh, lightweight in the world. I mean, that's how good this guy's skill set is because he's technical on the feet. Obviously he's got good wrestling and a tremendous grappling game. I mean, his submission game is top of the line for sure. And he still has that in him. I mean, his submission game is always going to be a threat, even if he's kind of declining and his skill set's taking a step back, which happens as time goes on with all of us, of course, right? But in this case, I think it's a tough matchup for him, though. Selecki is the better grappler. He's the better wrestler here. And I think it's his fight to win or lose. I think he's going to be getting those takedowns. And if he can avoid getting submitted by Miller, he's going to win this fight. And he should edge this out for sure and possibly even get a finish on the ground over Miller. So I think that's his path to victory. Everybody kind of knows that Selecki is going to go for these takedowns. He's going to probably outgrapple Miller. And that's why everybody came in that way. So I agree with it. I think Selecki is the side here. I think he's going to have to, again, kind of be tested in some spots here with Miller going for those guillotines and going for those submissions, even off his back. Um, so that is going to be a little bit of a concern, but I think Solecki could pass that test. And I think he could possibly finish Miller, like I said, by submission, maybe get his back and um, sink in a rear naked choke and get it done that way as well. So Solecki is a very intriguing prospect, I think, for sure, in this weight class. And let's see where he goes from here. But I do think he gets it done. Yeah, and I don't have a whole lot new to add. Um, the, the main thing is I'm just a little concerned that Jim Miller gets a submission off of his back. I mean, we've seen him do it before. Uh, he has a very good guillotine choke and he has a very good, uh, arm bar. So say Selecki gets top position and like I expect him to do, cause I do think he is the better wrestler here. Then Miller tosses up an arm bar, locks it in. Selecki can't get out of it, forced to tap or say, Selecki shoots in a little over-eager, leaves his neck exposed. Miller latches on a guillotine, doesn't let go, chokes him out. Um, those are the main two paths to victory here for Miller. Um, we've seen uh, throughout his uh, recent career that that is pretty much the only way he wins. I mean, 
Roosevelt Roberts, first-round armbar. Clay Guida, first-round guillotine choke. Jason Gonzalez, first-round rear naked choke. Alex White, first-round rear naked choke. Those are his last four wins. He has not won by anything other than submission since November of 2016. So facing somebody that is a really good grappler with good submission defense, um, I have to think that Miller's paths to victory here are very, very limited. Uh, I do not think he wins a decision. Uh, Although Miller is a decent striker, he just has not been very confident to keep fights standing and throw down with people. Um, I don't think Selecki's a great striker by any means. So perhaps if Miller can keep this upright, then uh, he's got a path there. But um, I just think that Selecki's going to take him down and go to work. I mean, that's just what he likes to do. So uh, Selecki most likely gets this to the floor, gets top position, perhaps wins by uh, top position, ground and pound, maybe a submission if Miller starts to slow down. But I think the most likely outcome here is a Selecki decision. So Selecki is my pick. Now, kicking off the main card in the welterweight division, we have Mike Perry, who is 14-7, taking on Daniel Rodriguez, who is 13-2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? This fight opened exactly a pick Rodriguez minus 110, Perry minus 110. And right now, looking over Circus Sports, it's minus 150 for Rodriguez to come back on Perry at plus 130. So more action coming in Rodriguez's way. Not surprised. If you do the MMA math, it should work here, right? Rodriguez has a win over Means. Means just beat Perry, so it should be an easy fight for Rodriguez. Not the case. MMA math, you got to throw that out the window despite because everybody matches up differently. And I think this fight is actually a pretty decent matchup for Perry, especially what we've seen from Rodriguez as of late. I know Perry hasn't been in his best form, and there's a lot of question marks about him personally with his training, everything going on there as well, but... I mean, Perry is definitely going to be a problem for Rodriguez in his fight because of the way he fights and the way he goes about things. I mean, he definitely is a dangerous striker. I think he could do some damage. Rodriguez has been getting clipped in his fights recently, and Perry has that kind of knockout power that if he lands on you, you're going to be in some serious trouble. So even if Perry doesn't knock Rodriguez out, I think he could do enough damage along the way to steal this fight. I think he's obviously strong even in the wrestling department maybe even you know tie rodriguez up get a quick takedown or something land some ground and pound we'll see but he doesn't even need that to win this fight i think it'll be competitive on the feet it'll be back and forth i think perry's tough as nails he's hard to get out of there and i think like i said part of me feels like rodriguez is kind of on a decline and it's weird because we would expect him to get better and better so i think perry's going to come back in here and get a solid win over a pretty solid fighter Rodriguez that a lot of us expect good things from, but I think he needs to do this. It's almost a must win fight for Perry. His back's kind of against the wall. He's a fun fighter to watch. So I think this is a really good scenario for him. And I think he gets a W here. So it's a dogger pass situation and I'm going to pick Perry to upset Rodriguez. I don't feel confident about either of these guys. Um, you know, Mike Perry is a complete flake. Um, that's lost three of his last four fights. Granted, All three losses against good fighters. So you can't give him too much crap uh, for losing to to Vicente Luque, Jeff Neal, and Tim Means. Uh, But uh, still, I mean, he did not look good in those losses either. Um, I didn't think. Um, And while he did win against Mickey Gall, I mean, you're going to win against Mickey Gall if you keep the fight standing. That's just not his strength. Um, Daniel Rodriguez, on the other hand, you know, while he does have a pretty good record, he has struggled. Um, the win over Tim Means was super impressive, but ever since then, 
Um, he has not looked the same. Uh, I thought he struggled in the Gabe Green win, um, the Dwight Grant win. I mean, he almost got finished in that first minute and then bounced back after a very, very big scare uh, and then ended up picking up a first round knockout on his, of his own. Um, and then in his last fight against Nicholas Dalby, I mean, he looked like complete crap and lost a one-sided decision. And Dalby is not a world beater. Um, he's, he's a pretty average welterweight. So, yeah, I mean, it just depends. If uh, the Mike Perry shows up that had all that swagger and, um, and confidence and ability and was training right, then... I do think that he can win this fight. He absolutely can win this fight. Um, but I was really, really concerned after that last fight where, I mean, he just didn't even really have a training camp. I think he just like trained with his girlfriend or something. He's, he's had all kinds of head issues, uh, mental issues. I'm just, I'm just not confident that he's going to show up and be in the game. So, uh, I'm going to go with Daniel Rodriguez, but, Say Mike Perry turned it around, had a good training camp, and his head's in the right place. Um, I mean, heck, he he would be the favorite at that point. But I just can't have confidence that he's doing that right now, After, especially after what we've seen recently. So my pick is going to be Daniel Rodriguez, but I wouldn't be shocked if Mike Perry shows up and knocks him out in a minute. Now, dropping down to the women's strawweight division, we have Nina... Nunez, formerly Nina Ansaroff, who is 10 and 6, taking on Mackenzie Dern, who is 10 and 1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Ansaroff opened minus 150 to come back on Dern, plus 130. A lot of head scratchers out there because a lot of people believe Dern should have been favored. The line flipped and it flipped back. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is currently Ansaroff. We should say Nunez as well because that's what she's going by as. We just mentioned or whatnot, and on the UFC Fight Pass show, we discussed that as well. So make sure you can check that out. Little shout out there. Uh, but Nunez is now minus 132, the comeback on Dern at plus 112. Look, it's obvious how this fight should play out in a certain way. If Dern gets his fight to the floor, especially early on, she is, I think, a very good possibility she's going to get the submission win and cause Fitz to answer off. And answer off probably won't survive on the ground, even though her submission defense and her ground game has improved quite a bit. Dern is just a different beast on a different level on the ground. I mean, she's world-class for a reason. One of the best lady jiu-jitsu practitioners ever, I mean, is Dern. So she has a big advantage on the ground. But the problem for Dern is she doesn't really have the greatest takedown ability. So if Ansaroff can keep this – Ansaroff slash Nunes can keep this fight upright, she's going to do some damage. She's the better striker. And that's why you're seeing the public and sharp money come in both ways here, of course, but more so on Ansaroff because I think – a lot of people are seeing her path to victory being clear. She has good takedown defense. She can stuff the takedowns, and then she can bust Dern up. Dern is a very tough, aggressive fighter. She's durable, but she gets hit quite a bit. And Ansaroff is definitely, by far, in my opinion, the more technical and more capable striker here. So that's why everybody's coming in that way. Now, for me, I'm kind of starting to think that maybe a lot of people are wrong here, meaning that everybody think that that's the way it's going to play out, and that's the way it's going to go down for sure. And I expect that, and I'm going to pick Ansaroff to win Ansaroff slash Nunes. I'll keep saying that throughout the podcast because I'm still not used to it. But I'll pick her to win the fight. But again, I think that this is a dangerous spot, and Dern could possibly pull off this upset, especially with everybody being so sure that Nunes wins this fight. Uh, I don't know. I'm starting to have my doubts, I guess. And maybe Dern is going to get this fight to the floor and get the submission win. But either way, 
I'm probably going to stay away from it as a betting aspect as of right now, unless the line goes crazy and I get some value that really opens up on this fight. But as far as a pick, I will go the answer off slash Nunes side because I do think she can probably stuff the takedowns and outpoint Dern to get the W like most people feel. So I think that's the way it should play out. But we all know how crazy this sport can be at times. And so we'll have to see and find out ourselves here on Saturday. Uh, but my pick will be Nunes. And I'm going to side with uh, Nunes slash Ansaroff here as well. Um, you know, historically, she has done pretty well, especially recently, against grapplers. Um, she took on Random Marcos and won a very one-sided decision. Then she took on Claudia Gedelia and, again, won a one-sided decision was able to keep the fight upright against uh, someone with very good wrestling and offensive grappling. Now, she did lose her last fight to Tatiana Suarez back uh, in uh, June of 2019, but even that fight was really competitive, and she clearly uh, was gaining momentum. I think five-round fight, she easily wins it. Um, so Suarez started really strong, and then she made Suarez work. Suarez started to slow down. Then she started fending off takedowns and going to work with her striking. So uh, Nina Nunes here is scary. It just depends on where she's at right now, because um, as you remember, uh, she did have a, a baby with the UFC featherweight and bantamweight champion uh, Amanda Nunes. Uh, they conceived and... Uh, that did take her out of action for almost two years. So this is her first fight back and they're throwing her right into the fire against one of the best grapplers in the UFC. Now, when I say best grapplers with Mackenzie Dern, I mean, in terms of submission ability, she is as good as it gets in the UFC for, uh, for women, but wrestling is not the same. Uh, she needs to be able to get this to the ground if she wants to win. And I'm not convinced that she's going to be able to get it to the ground. I mean, she does not have very good takedowns. Uh, she doesn't really have a good shot with her wrestling. Um, if she's going to get this to the floor, I think Nunes is going to have to make a mistake. Uh, you overcommit to a strike, allow Dern to close the distance, wrap her up and drag her down or, or do something because, um, in open space, uh, Dern is not going to be able to, to change levels and just power double her down. That's just not her game. Um, so as long as Nunes plays this smart, keeps her distance and outpoints Dern, uh, Dern just does not have the striking ability to keep up with her. Um, we've seen already when uh, Dern was taking on uh, Amanda Rebus, I mean, she got lit up on the feet. I mean, her nose was bleeding. I mean, even Ashley Yoder was doing really well against her on the feet. Um, so, um, and this, in my opinion, is the best striker she's faced yet. And uh, so if Nunes here is able to return to that same level she was at pre-pregnancy, and she is 35 years old, so that is, you know, a question, um, then I think that she cakewalks here. I just don't think that Mackenzie Dern is going to be able to close that distance and get a hold of her and latch on a submission. Uh, so uh, I'm going to go Nunez probably by decision, but maybe even by finish if she racks up enough damage, maybe even uh, like a doctor stoppage from uh, you know messing up uh, Mackenzie Dern's face a little bit. So uh, my pick is going to be Nina Nunez. 
Now, moving up to the middleweight division, we have Sam Alvey, who is 33-14-1, taking on Julian Marquez, who is 8-2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Marquez open minus 125, Alvey plus 05. That did not last long either. Right now, we're seeing Marquez all the way up to minus 170, the comeback on Alvey plus 150 at Circus Sports. I'll tell you what, man, this is interesting. Alvy obviously dropping back down to middleweight, which I think he should have been at, honestly, throughout his career. And he's been a very underrated and underestimated fighter throughout his career as well because he's just not that flashy guy that everybody's going to be in awe when they see him fight, like saying, man, this guy goes out there and smokes people. But let me tell you something, man. Alvy's always had knockout power. Um, he's always been a pretty intelligent fighter. It's just the output sometimes. I mean, he just doesn't, doesn't throw enough, and it gets him in some problems, right? But takedown defense is there for him, and again, that knockout power is there. So he presents a lot of problems, and he does have some wrestling. He just doesn't use it as much as we'd like to see either. So, And Marquez coming off of that come-from-behind win over Patolo. By by the way, I did not expect Patolo to wrestle as much as he did in that fight. That was kind of a head-scratcher to me. We never saw that out of his game, but it kind of exposed Marquez somewhat in the takedown game even more so right meaning that that patolo had success against them i mean some good wrestlers are definitely going to have success against a guy like sam alvey or a guy like marquez i'm sorry and sam sam alvey i think if he's aware of this obviously he's not a dummy he's going to probably look at that fight and say look if i can get this guy to the ground and start using offensive wrestling this could be a problematic fight for marquez so if that's the blueprint and that's a path to victory for alvey it might be an interesting fight for sure but i'm just not so confident that Alvy's going to go that route. He likes to stand and bang most of the times. And if that's the case, I think Marquez will be the higher um, output type of fighter. He's going to throw a lot more and I think he's going to have more success on the feet as well. So Marquez has a good submission game. He has a good ground game. We've seen that time and time again. So he's a very complete fighter and it's good to see him kind of come back and go through that grueling fight with Patolo, I think, because there was a lot of question marks before he came back with his injuries, with the long layoff. If you know, he was going to kind of be back up to par. And I think that was such a grueling fight that that did a lot of good for him, honestly. So coming right back and turning around this quick, I think will only keep his momentum going and he'll kind of get back on track and get back to where he needs to be. So I like this fight for him. I am going to pick Marquez. I think he does do enough to outpoint Alvy, possibly even finish Alvy. But Marquez has some power as well. And Alvy is not getting any younger. I mean, I know he's not an old man by any means, but in MMA years, he's kind of getting up there. He's had so many good fights throughout his career. So this is a good spot for Marquez to come in here and pull off a very solid win and kind of keep that momentum going, like I said. So my pick is going to be Marquez. And I'm going to go with Marquez as well. Um, I think moving back down to middleweight is the right decision for Sam Alvey. Um, I just don't think that he had the power or the chin uh, or the, even the, the size and strength to really hang with some of the better light heavyweights out there. Um, but Marquez is a tough draw for uh, your return to the division. Um, he's coming off of a pretty impressive come-from-behind victory. Um, so maybe Alvi t- is going to take some notes because Maki Patolo wasn't known for his wrestling, and Patolo was able to take Marquez down in the first couple rounds and um, you know really flustered Marquez. And Marquez was able to bounce back and hurt Patolo on the feet and then finish him with a submission in the third round. But um, he was potentially on his way to losing a decision in that fight before he pulled off the submission. So uh, if Alvi can get this to the ground, maybe get some top position, Marquez's takedown defense doesn't look particularly promising. So there's a big path to victory there. Um, Alvi also does have that one-hitter, quitter type of power, so if he connects with something nasty, he could hurt Marquez and finish him. And if Alvi 
perhaps just outlasts Marquez because Marquez did look like he was slowing down quite a bit, even though he did dig deep and get a late finish. Uh, I mean, he looked exhausted in that third round. So if Alvi can kind of pick up the pace a little bit, maybe Marquez won't be able to keep up with him. So, because uh, we really haven't seen Alvi ever struggle with conditioning, but that's mainly because he paces himself so much. Um, and that is my main issue with why I'm not picking him to win, because um, he does kind of bide his time and pick his moments to, to th- try to throw that big shot. And I think while he's doing that, Marquez is going to be landing combinations and just outpointing him over the course of three rounds. So I'm picking Marquez to win by decision, but uh, Alvi does have some paths to victory here if he uses them. Just depends on how his fight IQ is. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. So, uh, but I'm going to go with Marquez. Now, dropping down to the featherweight division, we have Arnold Allen, who is 16 and 1. Taking on Sodiq Yusuf, who is 11-1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Yusuf opened minus 120, the comeback on Allen at even money. And right now what we're seeing at Circus Sports is Yusuf minus 140, the comeback on Allen at plus 120. Man, let me just say this. Great matchmaking. I mean, two of the best featherweights in the world right here on the rise for sure. And this is a, just a well-matched fight. A lot of people believing in Yusuf here because of his output, because of his striking ability. I mean, the guy is so fun to watch. He's made me some cash. I understand. I've been on the Yusuf wagon for quite some time. Uh, but this is a spot I think you've got to kind of back away and, and look at the other side because Allen's been on the rise as well, man. I mean, this is going to be a fantastic fight on the feet, on the ground, everywhere this fight takes place. These guys are true mixed martial artists. But I understand, again, the output that Yusuf is going to throw is going to be a little bit higher. He's probably going to land a little bit more frequently. But Allen's counterpunching and his style, I think, bodes well for him in the spot because he could use Yusuf's aggression against him and land some damaging blows. And if you look at the sting on Allen's punches, it's there, man. I understand he he's not one of these KO artists that ends every fight by knockout, but I think in this spot, he could definitely do some damage along the way to Yusuf here. And of course, I think Allen is the better wrestler grappler in this spot as well. So I think this is going to be a really close fight. It'll be back and forth. I think Allen can hang with him a lot better than everybody anticipates on the feet. And I think he does have the better grappling and wrestling. Yusuf is not a slouch on the ground, though. I understand that. And I respect his ground game as well but i just think allen is going to be the more complete fighter here and it's going to show and i think he pulls off the win on the scorecards or as crazy as it sounds i mean yusuf is hittable and i think if there's a time that he gets knocked out and it's against the narrative it's against a guy like allen nobody's really expecting it too much right but i think allen's again his counter punching is on point he's getting better and i think he could maybe catch um, yusuf along the way and finish him as well so i like allen here i think it's a dog or pass situation and i'm going to pick him to win this fight And I'm going to come in the other way. Now, I've been a big believer in Arnold Allen. Um, I've had him ranked in my top 15 at featherweight for what feels like years. And um, I just think this might be a a kind of tough matchup here because uh, Allen's biggest strength is his ground game. He has excellent grappling. He's got pretty good wrestling, excellent submission skills, and good top control if he does get it down. Um I'm just not sure he's going to be able to get it down against Yusuf. Uh, Yusuf does have that that really strong, I think, judo base. Very physically strong. He has good, pretty good above average takedown defense in the, the upper 70s, I believe, for percentage. And in terms of striking, while Yusuf isn't like the most technical striker, he has that freak athleticism blazing speed and some of the most powerful strikes in the featherweight division. So while Allen actually is a really good technical striker and might even be more technical than Yusuf, 
I think Yusuf makes up for the technique of Alan with his power. And I think this fight stays standing and Alan lands some good shots, but Yusuf lands the more impactful blows over the course of three rounds. Um, I'm not convinced that Yusuf is going to get a knockout or anything, but I just think he convinces the judges to side with him by landing some really heavy shots over the course of three rounds, uh, enough to win him a decision. But uh, if Allen is really able to get in a good flow with his striking, uh, he could win this on the feet. And if his wrestling has improved more than I think it has, uh, and he is able to drag this to the ground, then he absolutely has a very good chance to win this fight. But uh, I do think that Yusuf keeps it upright and lands the more impactful shots, and that is going to seal it for me. Now, this brings us to the main event of the evening. In the middleweight division, we have Marvin Vittori, who is 16-3-1, taking on Kevin Holland, who is 21-6. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Vittori minus 250, Holland plus 188. That was the opener. And right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is currently Vittori coming in at minus 325. The comeback on Holland at plus 270. So line went up to minus 325. Not really that surprised. I mean, honestly, I was expecting it to rise a little bit, especially based on the last performance a few weeks back that Holland had against Brunson. I get it. Different type of fight sort of speak but it did show a clear path of victory for Vittori here and he's going to probably utilize that and take advantage of it now I think it did kind of overinflate this price as a whole if that makes sense but at the same time you do definitely have to consider what happened and I think Vittori is a better version of Brunson across the board meaning his wrestling maybe not I mean Brunson has always had underrated wrestling and I think he's one of the best wrestlers in the middleweight division historically as well so he might not have the actual technical wrestling skill that Brunson has, but Vittori's wrestling is very good as well, and he is a more well-rounded fighter. He can hang with Holland. He doesn't need to take this fight to the floor. I think he can do very well against Holland on the feet as well, and he's got a better submission game, I think. So he's just the more well-rounded fighter here, and it's, it should be a problematic fight for Holland because he, he'll get taken down. He'll get beat up on the ground, possibly finished on the ground. I think Holland's path to victory here is keeping this fight upright as long as he can, and he's a very dangerous striker on the feet. So I'm not disrespecting Holland by any means because I think – he can present a lot of problems with that length that he has with the accuracy. I mean, he is the highest accurate striker in middleweight history. That's crazy, but it's true, right? So his accuracy, I believe is around 60%, which is the highest all time in the middleweight division. That's how accurate Holland is on the feet and combine that with his length. I mean, he could be a problem for a lot of guys. So if he pulls this off, it's probably going to be a finish, which is crazy because Vittoria has never been finished in his career. Right. But that's his path to victory. So as this line approaches over 300, which it did, you have to kind of ease up and back away a little bit. I think if you get under 300, that's probably the way to go. If you get over, um, like if you get plus 300 on Holland, obviously it might be some value there as well. So 300, as I said, uh, the UFC Fight Pass show. So make sure you check that out again. Another shameless plug. But I mentioned it there. I think 300 is a key number. And I think if you get Vittori under 300, it's, there's a play to be made. If you get Holland at over 300 odds, there's a play to be made there as well. 300 and over. So 300 is a key number for me. And I think Vittori's probably appropriately priced as we speak right now. And he should be able to control this fight and win this fight and have an impressive performance. But again, he has to respect Holland on the feet. Even on the ground, man, he wraps up those jar chokes. He has those long limbs. He's going to be going for some submission. So Vittori has to be careful, but it's his fight to win or lose. And I think he gets it done here. So my pick is Vittori. And I'm going to go with Vittori as well. I mean, Nick already brought out all the statistics, but the biggest thing for me is we just saw Kevin Holland get exposed against Derek Brunson. Um, he got taken down repeatedly. 
Um, his striking, he, he just did not fight that very smart. I mean, he was way too easy to engage with in terms of takedowns. And that was against somebody that I think is just a poor man's version of Martin Vittori or Marvin Vittori. Now, Brunson might be a slightly better wrestler than Vittori, but Vittori is a better striker, has a much better chin than Brunson, and uh, Vittori has a better gas tank. I mean, this guy has already proven he can go the distance and go hard for five rounds. Um, I think Kevin Holland is going to have his hands full. Like, Holland is powerful and he's long, but Vittori has the ability to get inside and crack Holland on the feet and then mix up for takedowns if he wants, to, if they're there and if he wants to take them. Uh, I just don't really see how Holland gets this unless he lands the best shot of his career because uh, Vittori can, can take it. And his defense is good enough that I don't think Holland is going to have some easy opportunities to land big shots. So um, I think Vittori mixes it up with good strikes, aggressive pace, and mixing in takedowns. Uh, I think he's just going to keep Holland on his back foot for five straight rounds if unless he gets a finish along the way. So my pick is going to be Marvin Vittori. I think he wins convincingly. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC on ABC2. If we have a free play to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOBPremium on Twitter because that's where we'll post them first. Um, you can also check out the free bet section on the top tab of MMAOddsBreaker.com. Remember, check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this week.